Hi, and welcome back to Chaco Disaster. I'm Chorpsaway. And I'm Future Friends. And today, we're going to be talking about our thoughts and feelings on the winter 2016 anime season. I have no feelings. What? I burst it all. Burst it all so I could watch more anime, baby. Hell yeah. You specifically told me you had several feelings. That's right. I I cannot believe this. That's right. I cried. I laughed. And I guess... Sure, let's go with that. (laughs) Alright, before we review the shows we watched and dropped, and maybe didn't drop too, there were some of those, Mm -hmm. let's talk about some news. Alright. Most of the news uh, recently has been just shows being announced. So first up in sort of a surprise is something called Cheer Boys, which is a novel being turned into an anime about an all-male cheerleading cast. Alright, that sounds like the most boring thing in the world. Um, and that's, I mean, that's basically it. It's just, it is about a cheer team made up of dudes. And it looks like it's legitimately serious instead of supposed to being, like, one of those very, uh, I guess maybe it's a, it's a Japanese versus American thing, but it seems like in America it's always like, oh, the boys can't be cheerleaders sort of thing. So seeing something that's like a legitimate take on it, it was refreshing. Maybe it won't be interesting, but it looks very well animated. And with the, the cheerleading seeming to be animated like pretty, pretty well, like maybe almost rotoscopy, it seems like it's at least going to be, uh, action packed. As far as cheerleading goes, I don't know. Ah, uh, yeah, action fair. Gonna pull out a gun and are gonna shoot the other cheerleading <laughs> squad. That's action, The other baby. kind of action. That's the way they do it. That's what we call the murder squad. <laughs> murder boys. That's what I get on my knuckle tats. You have some fucked up hands. Well, I just do MRDR, you know, like a little, it's like a little shortening. Oh. It's like a cutesy way of murder. Yeah. Then uh, there are two anime announcements based on Token Ranbu, which is like Kantai Collection, but boys, and they're based on historical swords. It is getting two anime. Oh, One... boy. Hot dang. One of them do- being done by UFOtable, which is a pretty well-known group for doing, like, the Fate Stay Night adaptations and, like, the God Eater adaptations. So, uh, if nothing else, it will be, uh, stylish. Maybe it'll be good, too. Who knows? I don't think so. I think you're lying to me here, buddy. That doesn't oh, sound on. good at all. At, we can agree, at least, it will not be Kantai Collection. Because all of these boys are reasonably dressed. You don't know that shirt's coming off at any moment, son. And then they're gonna show their swords. Aw, oh, yeah, nice. Do you think they're ever gonna sword fight? Because I, I would like to see that. I assume that's actually a main point of it, since that's the game, is that you sword fight with other no, swords. I'm, I mean, the sword down there, buddy. Oh. Oh, you mean like a wakizashi? I don't know if any of them have, like, what particularly the knives, is... but, like... <laughs> what the fuck is wakizashi? <laughs> That's the that's the small sword that people with katanas also use, like oh, little right. knives. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I'm not all that familiar with military history, to be honest. Oh, okay. Well, now you know. Uh, other announcement news is that uh, they announced something called Yuri on Ice, which is a ice skating anime and has no women in it. It's all about dudes. Mm-hmm. And apparently there was a bit of a controversy about this particular show because a lot of people thought Yuri on Ice meant it was going to be lesbians doing ice skating. But as it turns out, Yuri is the name of a person. Well, yeah, like, have you ever met Russian people? Like, they're all called Yuri, all of them. Uh, yeah, they go on ice all the time, buddy. All the time, every day. But it looks, uh, like, pr- like supremely well done for something that basically hasn't been tapped as, like, a market. Or hasn't been, like, commoditized as other sports have. Mm-hmm. So it seems like it's going to be something interesting to follow if they really do, like, justice to that sort of competitive atmosphere. Sports are cool. I wish they would wrestle on ice. That would be the best thing. I wonder... You know, they haven't done, like, a really serious, like, wrestling anime, and I wonder how that would turn out. I know. Like, seriously, just have a wrestling anime on ice? Like, fucking think about a DDT on ice? That's the greatest shit. Sumo on ice. Yeah. Yeah, that's the good stuff. I've seen sumo wrestling. It's so dumb looking. (laughs) These fucking, like, huge fat guys, they just slap each other in the chest. Like fucking children. It's amazing. It's great. It's great. <laughs> uh, then an anime has been announced based on a manga series called Drifters, which appa- which is just like someone's historical fanfic gone horribly wrong. <laughs> like, it's just like all these people from history start fighting each other in factions for some reason. Like, it's got Oda Nobunaga. It's got Jeanne d'Arc. It's got Anastasia and Rasputin in it. It's got such a weird cast of characters. And it's probably not good, but I thought it was entertaining as a concept. Just to all my favorite historical figures all fight together. This sounds like a fucking Warriors game, I'm not gonna lie. A Warriors game with, like, a bigger cast. Yeah. Because I feel like Warriors always was, like... Romance Three Kingdoms, like, kind of very specific point in history and not just everyone I ever liked in my history class. Well, there was also, uh, there was also, like, a fucking Warriors game, I think, in France, Bladestorm or something. Oh, really? War or something. Oh, that's kind of neat. It wasn't that great. (laughs) Okay. But, I mean, that's at least a different uh, setting than they usually go for. Yeah, I guess. I think they did a re-release where you have to fight dragons and shit, and that's kind of when I checked out. (laughs) What the? That's that's not historically accurate, unlike killing 30 million dudes per map. I don't think Joan d'Arc ever killed a dragon, son. I don't think that's in the books. Now, what did she do? She killed 30 million people. Right. All at once, too, just like this huge, like, pile-up, and then they all disappeared. It was weird. Then there's, um... A game coming out that looks like sort of a Godzilla's sort of fighting game, except they're all, like, uh, 38-meter-tall ladies. Mm -hmm. And it's getting an anime that is purportedly the shortest anime series ever, because it's going to have 12 episodes airing weekly, but each of them is going to be 30 seconds long. What? Why is that a selling point? I don't know, but this is their selling point, is that it's going to be 12 episodes of 30 seconds each. 
ah, finally, we have a huge market in the eight-year-olds with ADHD. This is the... This is this is also a lead-up, because the game isn't even released until summer. This is like they're advertising. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it's such a weird thing to be, like, proud of the fact that you're doing this. Though, um, I think last season they had a series of shorts that were, like, 15 seconds long to advertise Pachinko. Oh, yeah, because that needs advertisements. <laughs> right, if you didn't know about this hot new thing called Pachinko. Oh, yeah, wow, you put balls in a machine, this is cr- I've never heard <laughs> about this. And watch your life spiral out of control. My god, there's parlors and people smoke there all the time, that sounds great. Yeah, I love it. Oh, boy, I, I love this thing. Wait, what? Organized crime has something to do with this? Oh, no. Oh, I love organized crime, it's my favorite. And then, in a final piece of news that I just found, like, completely baffling, uh, Sekai Project is a group of people who have been, um, translating visual novels for a Western audience and, like, releasing them on Steam. First one they did, Sakura Spirit, which now apparently is big enough or important enough to deserve its own manga, releasing simultaneously in Japan and the United States. I played that game. And I... it's digital only. It's not even in print. It's going to be digital only. I played that game. It sucked. It was so horrible. <laughs> How did that thing even get popular? There's like fucking 12 of them, and they're all like the same disgusting blob-like people. I honestly don't know how that series in particular got so popular, but I, I'm guessing it's just the barely covered boobies is really the selling point. Which, like... I guess in America you don't have that sort of, like, audience, but I feel like there's a lot better in Japan where this came from. Like, they already have, like, all kinds of uncensored stuff that you could watch. Why is this the thing that catches on? I, ah. like, I I don't know. Why are anime fans, like, always just lusting for titty? I don't know. That's my, I don't just know. Just stop! You've masturbated enough! Is Have they, though? You've done it enough! Stop your dick witter <laughs> off, but you're still making emotions. Oh. Anyways, that's the news I had for today. <laughs> I'm glad we ended up on such a high note. Oh yeah, no, of course. Anyways, let's let's get to the part that people really care about. And that's the anime part. Uh so uh I'm in over order it. to Uh what? Oh, are yeah. we done? I, I'm over anime. It's done. Just let's just get out of here. I'm gonna have to call in another host then. <laughs> no, but um, this time we've decided because we always take way too long to d- discuss a show. I kind of wrote up some like pitches that we're gonna say at the beginning to give an idea of the synopsis of the show in case you didn't keep up with it, and then we'll talk about the show proper afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um. Understand that uh, almost all of these will have spoilers of some kind, so if you're really interested in the concept and haven't watched it yet, maybe do that first. Yeah. It's only, like, what, 1,200 hours of your life? Exactly. Any given uh, show here, I think, is only 12 episodes, so, I mean, that's, what, six hours? You could do six hours. Uh, You could do six. You don't have to sleep tonight. 
Yeah, sleeping's for nerds. It's the weekend, you know? Well, it's the weekend when we're recording it. It might not be the weekend oh, when you're listening to it. When it's released, there's no doubt, like, everyone is working themselves to death. like, fucking near just death from overworking. I mean, that's just capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know, Choco Disaster is the first socialist anime podcast. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Alright, first up, we're going to talk about easily the most hyped uh, release of 2016, or at least winter 2016. Mm-hmm. And that's Erased, also known as uh, Boku Dake Gai Inaimachi. Uh, let's just call it Erased in stats. That's way well, too long. I'm, I'm making sure people know in case they look up, I don't know, man- the manga scans or whatever. But yeah, we'll call it Erased. Yeah, let's just call it Erased. Because I need a erased from my memory. <laughs> hey! No, it's good. It's, it's alright. Tell me about it, future friend. So yeah, let's, uh, let's go on. Uh, Erased is about Setoro, a 29-year-old aspiring manga artist working as a pizza delivery man. At some point, he gains the unconscious ability to time travel to a point in time right before tragedy occurs. Uh, which forces him to fix the future, you know? And uh, one day, his mom just comes over to talk to him and, you know, make dinner. But uh, somebody murders her while he's out of the house and frames him for it. Uh, He goes on the run, and he finds himself traveling through time, stopping in his middle school years before a serial uh, kidnapping-slash-murder case. Uh, And he, he, uh, of course, has to prevent these kidnappings and change the future for the better. And that's the whole first episode, too, is, like, all that information gets dumped on. That's right. I'm basically saying we're gonna spend 200 minutes discussing every episode. Oh, boy. Yeah! Oh, man. No, but, um... Erased is a kind of fascinating sort of anime. And, uh, apologies, we we tried to do, like, a mid-season show this season, and it kind of failed, so we may bring up points that we've already talked about. So, uh... That may change discussion a little bit, but, like, Erased just presents itself so much differently than any other anime really has. Because mm-hmm. it, it does a, like, it, it does a thing when, with the time travel where you can immediately tell when it's the current time and when it's the past by the, um, by doing, like, the widescreen film format. Yeah. So it goes from 16 by 9 to, like, 16 by 5 or whatever. I think it's just letterboxing, that's what it's called. Yeah, it's, it's letterboxing, but it's, uh, I d- it's just like, it's very film-y in a way that a lot of serialized shows just aren't. Yeah, it feels very much like a, like, what, six-hour uh, anime film that just got released in theaters. Yeah, kind of like a movie that gets cut up into parts. Yeah. From the way it tells the story and the way it... Uh, expertly crafts cliffhangers for every damn episode. <laughs> Making yeah. it absolutely miserable to watch serialized. Oh yeah, of course. No, it'd be like, oh man, oh no, this little kid, he's, he's nearly gonna die. And then it's just two minutes later, he's okay. He's fine. <laughs> yeah, it, it loses a little bit of that by if you watch it all now. But definitely as it serializes, like, every week it's like it ends on something like, oh, what's going to happen here? Or is, you know, is this kid going to be able to survive kind of thing? 
And so it, it builds up this sort of suspense that I feel like kind of helps the, the, uh, the mood of the show overall. And it's weird because it sort of presents itself as a mystery, but the mystery is easily the least interesting part of the, the show, I think. I mean, I think it's pretty interesting, but, like, around when the killer gets revealed, it really starts to drop the ball in general. Yeah, and I think, and they, uh, I've read some things about that, like, they put a lot of, um, they put a lot of time into sort of this initial arc where Satoru has to save this girl named Kayo, who's the first girl that gets caught in this kidnapping murder case. And I think... Honestly, the time that they spent on that is probably the best of the anime because it gives a lot of time to build up these characters, these emotions, these themes. And I think that works really well. And I don't think I would have had the same connection with the characters if it hadn't been so long. But it definitely caused everything else to be really compact. Yeah. No, uh, in general, like, the first eight episodes are the best, and it definitely feels like the last four episodes are just kind of rushed. Yeah, and it feels, and, like, they they definitely cut out things um, from the manga in order to create still a narrative that works within that tight time frame. Mm -hmm. But you can definitely tell they rushed to get everything out again. But again, I don't know if I'd have the same reaction if I didn't have so much time to get use of these characters. And kind of, they build up this mood, they build up this anticipation that really just drives the series. Well, it's just kind of a shame, because, like, the entire first eight episodes essentially are, like, centering around this one character. And then the last four episodes just kind of pass on by? with They're like, kind of like, oh, right, there's a plot we needed to get to. Yeah, there are two other people, I, I, and then it's like in one episode, they're just alright. Yeah, and I, and it's definitely, um, I feel like the reveal was maybe not as graceful as it should have been. Uh, okay, let me be real here. Uh, this probably has my, one of my least favorite anime tropes and like, especially if it's like about a murder, uh, thing. The fucking murderer, like, suddenly starting to talk shitty philosophy, uh, like, talking high school literature. Um, my, my big thing about it is, well, first of all, there weren't that many characters to speculate who the murderer was. Yeah. I feel like it was basically, it could only be the teacher. Okay. So there's another thing that's actually really weird to me. You know, at one scene, like, the abusive mom of, like, the first girl, like, has a boyfriend who's just chilling there, watching TV, drinking, while she's beating the shit out of her child. And it yeah, never and gets brought up was, again. And I thought there was, like, a bigger implication there that, like, there was a cycle of abuse sort of thing, or that he plays some part in it. But ultimately, he just disappears. Yeah, he just... And like, I, I thought, maybe he's gonna be, like, the killer. We haven't heard about him yet. Yeah, or be, like, uh, an accomplice or something, but, like, he just doesn't even show up after that first scene, which was really weird. Like, I expected him to show up, like, maybe during the confrontation where they, like, catch... Kayo's mom, like, about to just, like, beat her down. It was just a guy watching beer and, like, looking at watching TV. Watching beer and was... drinking TV. Yeah, yeah. great. Uh-huh. Just some guy is mommified over. Like, he's just having a hoot. He's just having fun. 
Can like I if play they had had like if they had time to build up more of the the like secondary cast, maybe there would have been more of a question on who the murderer was. Yeah. But they really only gave to one adult character mm-hmm. that could be it, and that was the teacher who ended up being. And it definitely has this sort of like I get that he is a bad person, right? That's yeah. obvious from the fact that he is a child murderer. Yeah. And that he has been doing this before. The the problem, I guess, is just the presentation of it seems so stereotypical, maybe, compared to how the rest of the series had been going. Because it does, like, the red eyes thing, and you can see, like, his face contorts into this very evil thing, and suddenly his voice changes, and it it just all feels very... maybe anticlimactic to how the rest of the anime seem to be going. Uh, yeah, in general, I think it's very much a thing of, like, oh, no, I have to I have to fucking rush this up. Because, like, I think the uh, manga only went on for, like, three years, right? Manga was, yeah, three, three or four years. It yeah. ended a couple weeks before the anime did. But, ha- but basically they had, like, sent off, this is what's going to happen to the anime. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's very much just kind of a thing, like... Maybe this would have worked better. It was like sixteen episodes. Yeah, it it absolutely. I don't think it could have held for two two full seasons. Yeah, maybe a season and a half would have been better. Mm-hmm. But it just seems like very much sorts again. It's rushed and uh, but also feels sparse because at one point the fucking uh, like fucking like. After the final confrontation, the main character just fucking talks about, like, some philosophical bullshit about the good of man for, like, two solid minutes, and it doesn't matter. Also, something weird about the pacing is the two episodes they spent back in the current time? A few years before current time. No, 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 no. I I specifically mean the, um... So, like, he goes back in time. Yeah. And during the first loop, he fails. Yeah. And then he goes back to current time where he's still a criminal and the police are after him. Right? Yeah. And I feel like nothing really happened then. Um, well, what did happen was that apparently the fucking owner of pizza decided to betray him. Right, the the, the guy who owns the pizza chain decides to betray him in order to protect... This, like, 17-year-old girl he has a crush on, who is Which protecting is... Satoru right now. Yeah. And, like, she, I I think, like, breaks his phone when he tries to tell uh, the police that Satoru's there. And then, like, her house starts burning, and Satoru has to save her. And, like, the only thing that seems like it's worthwhile in that entire bit is that he gets to talk to one of his mom's friends, who's also a reporter, and see the original suspect list of who the who the killer could have been. I mean, just in general, like I think it's also there for that scene in which like the uh in which like the uh, 17-year-old girl talks about her dad like being accused of stealing something when he didn't. Right. Okay, yeah, I guess yeah, I I had almost forgotten about that. Uh, and I feel like maybe they could have condensed that to an episode to yeah, give more time for everything else. Probably. And I think it's also kind of to build up the, like, killer of the story as, in the current time, 
like being kind of a credible threat and like a huge influence. Yeah, because he because the uh, the uh, Satoru sees the killer hanging out with the police at the time, mm-hmm. uh, as he as he like wishes to go back again and gets his chance to fix it one more time. Yeah. And then with the ending, um, I was talking to Jordan about it, and I guess his his thing about it is he thought it was too Hollywood, is how he described it. I think maybe part of that is how it maybe it cleans up it like it resolves maybe a little too cleanly, like it just ends up everyone's happy and perfect and nothing kind of he he just basically saved everything, you know. Yeah. Which, I appreciate that sort of ending. It's great that with, like, uh, such a drama-filled sort of series, there can be a big happy ending for everyone. But I do understand kind of the, like, shock at how kind of cleanly everything pulled out and the big end confrontation sort of thing. Well, it's kind of ridiculous. It's dumb, because the main character suddenly turns to fucking Batman and, like, understands everything and plans everything. Like, he knew... The killer was gonna invite him to the roof and like try to push him off, maybe. But then he, but then he does this crazy thing where he just like uh, tries to <laughs> tries to suicide to prove that uh, the killer can't actually kill him. Yeah, no, I started laughing my ass off when he suddenly like, "You can never beat me," and then he just fucking wheelchairs to the edge of the roof and nearly kills himself. Yeah, he's like trying to prove the fact that the uh, that the, his teacher needs him to still be alive because. Basically, like, the supportive system sort of thing. And then just fucking... <laughs> and then just fucking dashes for the roof to see if he'll catch him. That's such a weird fucking, like, confrontation, by the way. Because suddenly fucking Satoru starts talking about his daddy issues. And just... It never comes up. He's just like, yeah, I kind of see you like my dad who I never met. And that's that's the only thing he says about it. Apparently there was a whole arc in between... Um, his him regaining his memories and the confrontation that maybe built that up a bit better. In the manga, you mean? Yeah, in the manga. Um, maybe I don't know because I guess that gives more time for him as this. Because uh, okay, so end of the first timeline, he fails. End of the second timeline, he succeeds, but his teacher catches him and uh, basically sends him to drown. In his car. Mm -hmm. Like, the teacher locks him in his car, kind of jams the seatbelt, and then push- and then uses, like, a brick to push it into the river. Yeah. But he ends up being- but Satoru ends up being saved, and he ends up in this 15-year-long coma. Which then leads him to end up being, like, this, uh, child trapped in an adult's body, and he doesn't remember anything past his- his, like, childhood that he replayed. He doesn't remember that he came from the future. He doesn't remember the first timeline or anything. Yeah. And, and then he touches t- a baby. Yeah, um, and then he touches Kaio's baby. Um, and gets all his memories back, which originally, apparently, it was, like, he saw Irie, and Irie's the reason that he remembered, because Irie was from his past. Which... Whichever way it works, but we don't get a lot of time to experience that because it's all finished in one episode. Yeah. So, um, and then after, like, the killer essentially tries to throw him off the roof after some fucking fake speech, uh, 
it basically just ends up with everyone's happy. He's now a famous, like, manga artist. And then... And he's writing, like, light novel style shit. He's, like, writing, you know, Sword Art Online kind of stuff. Yeah, he's writing crap. He's the fucking Japanese L. Ron Hubbard here, basically. (laughs) But he's popular. He's popular because even the race is like, man, this this is garbage. People will fucking watch and read anything. But he's happy now, which is important. Yeah. And, And I mean, that's one of those things is like, everyone ends up happy. And I think that's kind of the big thing is he was able to change the future for the better. Uh, and then it basically ends up with him meeting this teenage girl he hung with again, that he only hung with because he was such a loser, he could only hang with a teenage girl, and that's supposed to be, like, a good thing? I mean, the, I think mostly it's just he he sees this character who's from his past and kind of realizes the, the impact he's made because Irie's no longer in trouble... And doesn't even know him, but the fact that he was able to kind of save this future is the big part. Mm-hmm. I liked the show. I thought it was I a like, great show. I liked it, was it one too. Of the, it was probably the best show this season, or at least one of the best. I liked it too, but I wouldn't call it the best show of the season. Okay, that's fair. I think it has some really major pacing issues. It has some problems with, like, not knowing towards the end um, what to do. I think yeah. if it was more the trend of, like, the first eight episodes, I would probably agree with you. But I think yeah. it's kind of hampered by the fact that the killer is lit. The killer is just kind of, like, lame. The, uh, like, as a mystery itself, once it's solved, it really just feels like they're kind of rushing through and trying to make everything seem like a lot deeper than it actually is. Yeah, the back forth definitely doesn't have the same feeling of like tension and suspense, which is really the main theme more more than a mystery. Mm-hmm. This is sort of the suspense thriller kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that that mood worked so well. And by the end, it kind of lost that, and that was unfortunate. Like, I I really didn't need to, like, know about some story called the spider Thread, or, like, a fucking killer discussing about, like, uh, evil man. gerbils. Yeah, like, gerbils, and, like... He could have just been, like, a bad guy, but instead he's, like... He, they, they kind of ramp up the evil... Mm-hmm. in a way that maybe just doesn't feel genuine. I'm not sure how to even word it, really. Because, yeah, he's, like, a deeply disturbed dude. And yeah. the manga makes that more obvious. But it's just, like, I guess from how everything else was built up, it seemed like it was more into sort of, like, theming and maybe a little bit of subtlety that kind of got lost there. Yeah, from what you're kind of been telling me, it seems like the manga is a lot better sketched out and has a lot more, like, stuff going on and is probably but, better. But man, it looks, the anime just looks so much better. Oh, it's like the art, just not good? The art is, if you take the anime art style and maybe, like, look at it as, like, a, if you try to imagine what the storyboard sketches looked like, it's very much more like that. Oh, it's very right. unpolished and stuff. So 
I'm not sure which is the better experience, but I thought this was a good experience. I think it's worth recommending, if only because the first eight episodes are fucking fantastic in general. Yeah, just a great, like, uh, great sort of, like, mood of suspense and stuff through the eyes of, like, children, which makes it almost more frightening that way. Mm -hmm. And I think even for the multiple problems, like the last four episodes half, I still think it's solid TV in general. Yeah, it was, I, like, everything against it, it was just a great watch overall. Yep. It lost its steam, that, whatever, but it was, it was a good show. Like, I only really have so many criticisms with it because it is really that good for the rest of it, and then it's just kind of disappointing when, like, there are some parts that could have been way better. Like, I really liked the bit where, um... Satoru's, like, sneaking out at night to make sure that things are set up so that nothing can go wrong with his plan. Mm -hmm. And part of it is he's about ready to, like, push Kaio's mom down the stairs and kill her. Yeah, that shit is, like, fucking tense. Right, and then Kenya shows up, his, his like, his his best buddy, and is, like, you, you realize that this is, like, the wrong way to do this, you know? Mm -hmm. you take this into your own hands and don't, like, don't, don't you know, get yourself in trouble through it kind of thing. It was just great. Yeah. And things like that are just, you know, like, he is a, he is an adult in a child's body, but it's very clear in a way that he never really grew up past sort of the trauma caused by this, like, serial case. Yeah, he's just kind of depressed in general, like, before he solves the murder. Yeah, and you get this sense that, like, you know, there are definitely still things from his childhood that, like, haunt him, and it plays into sort of who he is. Mm -hmm. There are even some great, like, really heartwarming and, like, comedic scenes that I think work really well with the with the tone and everything. Just, like, this lighthearted sort of attitude with something deeper going on underneath. Yeah. Like, um, every time that he would do that thing where he'd think something and also say it out loud at the same time and catch himself... Like, the way they timed that always was, like, really, like, cute. It was, I, I chuckled every time that it would be, like, his mom's like, hey, so am I in the way? And then he says, yes, out loud, and then goes, ah, shit, I just said that out loud. <laughs> and, like, his mom kind of makes fun of him for it. Like, it's a great <laughs> little scene. And, like, the oh, the birthday. The birthday scene was just great. I, speaking of the mom. Probably the breakout character of this fucking thing. Such a good mom. Such a good anime mom. I I love her. She just fucking... She just takes no shit from her son. She, she just, has attitude, and I think that's the best part. She's like a nice mom, but she's got some serious attitude to it. Yeah, just a sassy mom. It's great. But yeah, the uh, the birthday scene with um, Kayo and Satoru was just great, I thought. Like a really heartwarming, touching thing. And, like, all the little things around it, like, um, like, when Kayo sleeps over and she cries when, uh, Satoru's mom makes her breakfast sort of thing. Like, mm -hmm. all these, like, little moments that really show just, like, how troubled that character is and kind of this, like, pure kindness that invades her is, it was just great. And then the birthday is, like, they spend $50 on just, like, sandwich supplies and just make sandwiches the whole time. <laughs> It's like, it's just this cute, heartwarming sort of thing that really breaks up the tension, 
yeah. but never feels weird or anything. Or like when they're at the uh, science center, and he's like, I want to make sure that Kaio is having a lot of fun and is engaged. So he points to this bear statue and goes, hey, look, that guy's my friend. And she just looks at him like, are you stupid? But like has a nice <laughs> chuckle about it. It's, it is such a great tour de force for like the first two thirds. Yeah, it is. Like, it's like most of the characters are just like really likable. Uh, and the fort and the last quarter loses some of that steam, but I think still ends up on the whole making it a good show. Yeah. I do. I still think it's a good show. Yeah. Also, I, I mean, I we th- talked about so much negatives. I thought I'd bring up some of like the, the oh, yeah. better parts of it. Like in general, it's just a very likable show. It has some serious stuff going on. Like it talks about child abuse and such, but, uh, and abuse in general, but I still think it's overall very likable. Uh, yeah. Great, just like a great cast of characters. It has an anime mom that isn't with personalities and just she's a mom. She has an actual personality beyond that. Yeah, and she didn't have to die more than once. Because <laughs> <laughs> you think about it, like, all the other anime moms tend to die. Yeah. She gets a second chance. That's basically, like, half a death. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, so, Erased, good. We can agree. Yeah. It's good. Next up, gonna talk about a show also good, and maybe lighten things up a bit. <laughs> Given that Erased is such kind of a heavy show. Mm-hmm. It's Haruchika. Um, Haruchika is about two kids in a high school concert band. We have Chika who's a girl who desperately wants to have look cuter. So instead of joining a sports club when she joins high school, she decides to pick up the flute and join the concert band. Ah, uh, yeah, that will that will get you late. The flute. <laughs> the flute, the sexiest instrument. It's like, oh, yeah, hold on. Let me serenade you, cute boy, with the flutes. Fucking recorder, the Titanic steam, oh, boy. <laughs> Watch out, lady, you're gonna turn this boy moist as hell. And then we have Haruta, who is, like, a childhood friend or, like, rival to her, who's, like, against her, it's like he's a natural genius, he's really smart, and he's really good at music, and he's already part of this concert band at school, but the band only has, like, six members, which is barely enough to count as a club at school, let alone actually do, like, competitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Chika and Haruta end up working together to recruit members to the band, and along the way, a lot of them, at least with the ones that they focus on the characters for, is like they have some kind of like personal problem that they have to solve that has like made them lose motivation for their art. And so by helping them solve these problems, they can help them to join the band and make the cast greater. Mm-hmm. Um it is <laughs> PA Works, who is the group that does it, really a lot of people seem to say that they're trying to be Kyoani light sort of thing. And it becomes very obvious because this is a combination of two pretty big Kyoani things, which is Sound Euphonium, because of the concert band, and Hyoko, which is kind of like high school mystery sort of things. But un- unlike Hyoko, where it's about like ghosts and things like that, um, Haruchika is just about like People who kind of have, uh, like, personal problems that need to be solved. Uh, yeah. Very, like, down-to-earth, sort of, like, someone can't get over the fact that their brother died, and, you know, thing or, like, 
very, like, personal, emotional issues like that. The flute doesn't get me laid. Help me solve this problem. Exactly! You get it. <laughs> oh, oh no, I play the trombone and that's the least sexy instrument. Oh man, that's a fat guy team. Why did I pick the trombone? <laughs> no, but, um, Harachika is a, is a fun, it was a really fun show that took a couple episodes to find its footing, I think. Mm-hmm. Compared to a race, which started out really good and kind of had a weaker back half. Yeah. One thing I have to give it credit for is Haruta is a character who is gay, and they do not play it up or make him play to any stereotypes. It's barely even brought up. It's only really implied, because he mm-hmm. has a crush on the, the concert band teacher, who's a dude. And uh Chika also does, and there's like this middling rivalry between them, like who gets to like do things for him, but also the teacher never like plays on it, so it's not like a weird thing. It's they very have much to played off as kind of each other for his love. <laughs> but like they'll like push each other out of the way of a door to be able to talk to him first about something that they need to talk to him about, stuff like that. Or like he'll be like, Oh, I need to go get this stuff from the the you know, the practice room or whatever, and both of them will fight over who gets to get it, and then a third mm-hmm. person comes in and takes it from them. Kind of like these very jokey sort of things that plays into a trope that otherwise could be handled very poorly. It sounds like I need to become a hot teacher. I can get students to just do shit for me. Hell yeah. And um I think the mysteries they start out very puzzly and it's kind of weird. Like this this uh this girl uh has a brother who died and was really into sort of like Rubik's Cube style puzzles, and so he leaves this sort of like dying message to her in this Rubik's Cube that he built. <laughs> To like, solve this Rubik's Cube, and, like, one side is just your brother's death. It's like, it's like he, uh, he, like, painted them all one color sort of thing. So that, and uh, under it, like, on one of the sides, he's written a message that's like, uh, I love you, make sure to do your best kind of thing. And he, and the girl always assumed that her brother, like, hated her kind of thing. You know, sort of, like, very, like, domestic sort of mysteries like that, but it's weird that they presented these as, like, puzzles. Why not just write a note, you fucking dumbass? Like, if you're gonna die, like, if you're gonna die and you know it, why put it on this fucking Rubik's Cube? Yeah, it's weird, and I think it 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 hits, like, kind of max, it, well, it it starts to, like, even out as it gets later on, as it just becomes, like, this person has an issue with their life, and they're just trying to figure out how to, like, help them come to terms with it, rather than, like, here's this really abstract sort of puzzle that you have to solve. Like, this one where, uh, a, um, a guy who's, like, known to be a trickster and is, like, is in his old age dies, and he, he, like, gives his apartment complex that he owns to his son, and has hidden his life's savings, which is like millions and millions of yen in the walls of the apartment. <laughs> hoping the that he'll in the find banana them. Stand. Like it's such a there's such these weird things, but like the emotions behind them like resonate and are interesting and diverse. And it's just weird that they start out with these like weird esoteric puzzles to solve for them. Whereas otherwise they're very like domestic mysteries are just like trying to figure out why this person feels this way and trying to figure out how to help them, like, come to terms with it or figure out how to, like, 
move forward from whatever traumatic thing has happened to them. Mm-hmm. Like, they have a character who's just, like, going, you know, realizes that she's going deaf and therefore kind of ruins her chances at being a professional musician, but trying to help her find the encouragement to move forward past that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, very much more, like, simple, sort of, like, more relatable sort of things, and that's where the emotional core comes in, which I think it does pretty well. Realistically, the music part is just a um, a set piece. The only time they actually play music in Haruchika is for the episode 12 credits, when they've actually made it to, like, their performance place. Um... <laughs> And since they and, never play music, they get last place. Right. No, they actually do end up getting bronze, uh, which is basically the lowest score you can get at a uh, at a competitive competition. <laughs> but but they also made it to the nationals, which is the big fucking deal. Like through the whole thing, they're doing competitions and stuff. They just don't play the music because whatever, <laughs> it's not the focus. And so it's just, it's like that's the big thing is like they end up getting bronze at this competition. But they also made it to nationals, and that's the big thing. Even though, like, a, I think a year and a half passes between the first episode and the last. Mm-hmm. So, like, some of them end up graduating and stuff, and it's like, there's big emotions about that. But, um, like, as a, as a series, the core of it is solving these mysteries and helping these people move on with their lives. Which is the biggest part, and ends up being kind of inconsistent. Like, uh, as I said before, it's kind of the first half or so kind of these weird puzzle things that make it really hard to like imagine a situation in real life where this kind of thing happens but as it goes on does a lot better at making it more just like here's a person who is having trouble in their life and how they find a way to move forward from it yeah Um, like I'm honest, this series would have interested me more if it didn't have, like, the uh, music club part. Yeah, and that part is basically dropped, is what's weird. <laughs> yeah, no, it just kind of seems like you were kind of saying, like, that PA Works is known for basically trying to be this Kiyoani, and, like, it kind of feels like it's just a hook to get that stuff in. Yeah, how weird that they found a novel that combines both concert band and mystery. <laughs> How convenient. Um, one thing I really liked, though, is the art style. The art style is, um, it's, it's very kind of, like, generically anime to an extent, but the thing that they do with the most attention is, like, the eyes. Like, the eyes are very, um, particularly in the main character, uh, Chica, it's, like, kind of these weird color combinations, like, there's yellows and reds and blues kind of all mixed in. They're very, like, they stand out a lot. And to start out, it's a little off-putting, but I think with how well it does kind of, like, settings and backdrops, like, kind of sunset, darkness sort of stuff, it helps the art style as a whole kind of stand out. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that I noticed, is kind of the eyes are initially very off-putting with how they do it. Also, um, I think one benefit to it is it has technically a very large cast. Like, the concert band starts out as six characters that all get introduced with names and are individual people, and eventually it grows to about ten characters that you have come to learn over these different episodes because they join the band or are part of the friend group now. Yeah. And while that's initially very, like, 
off-putting with how just how many characters there are. I think it does a really good job of balancing which characters get the spotlight and which and kind of their personalities so that they all feel distinct and you never feel like you're overloaded with them. Like scenes never really revolve around more than a handful of them, like four or five. So it, yeah. it's able to balance its cast very well in a way that otherwise might just have been terrible. Yeah, because I was actually, like, kind of uh, worried in general, like, when you said, like, ten, uh, ten cast members, like, uh, just in general, like, you only got 12 episodes in 20 minutes, like, whether that's not gonna be fucking addled all over the place. Yeah, no, it, it it finds a good way to balance them, and I think that's probably the best thing that the show does consistently. Um, thinking about one of the other really weird plot points is, like, they, they have this character who's really into music, but also, like, is having trouble coming to terms with his, like, um, the fact that he doesn't know half of his heritage because he's half Chinese. Mm-hmm. And so what they do, since he joins the drama club instead, is they put on this super elaborate play that involves him in it that is about how he needs to come to terms with his Chinese, like, the Chinese part of his heritage. And this whole episode is based around them doing, like, this free-form improv play to get him to understand it. So, like, it's just such a weird first half that really settles down and I think ultimately becomes a good series. All right. That's about all I have to say about it. All right. Next yeah. up. Next up, Seko Boys, the hottest new idols, are made of stone. Join Mars, Medici, Hermes, and St. George as they struggle to make it big in the idol scene. That's all I could say about it, really. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, it's boring. It's, it is. It's a, it, it is a concept that immediately screams this sort of, like, gimmick kind of thing, which isn't necessarily bad. Gimmicks have pushed TV shows in general pretty far. Oh yeah, no, there's a ton of comedies with gimmicks, but Psycho Boys has a problem. It has a gimmick that is mildly funny, and it thinks it is the funniest shit, and that's it. It is funny it. in concept, but they try to push it further than that. It's the like, the only joke it literally has is just, these boys are made of statue, and they are, like, old statue boys from olden times. And it doesn't even really use that to a point. Like, it uses that for the sake of, like, a couple gags, but otherwise it's just, like, they pretend like they're not made of stone. Like, a lot of the gags don't revolve around the fact that they're statue busts. Mm-hmm. The, the one particular one that I can think of before I dropped it is, like, uh, the their manager is carting them around, and one of them accidentally falls off as she swerves out of the way of a different idol, and one of the, uh, one of the statues falls down in the, in the walking way of this other guy, and suddenly, like, people are just throwing shade at this statue bust as they walk by, like, how dare you get in the way? Like, that's the only real gag that they played off using that, and otherwise it was just like, oh, one of them's really awkward and just won't shut up even though he's boring kind of thing. And I also kind of feel like the jokes they actually kind of make are just not that funny in general. Like, it's never really well executed much. 
It feels like all the jokes feel like really overdrawn and like the timing is just really awkward. Yeah, and they like try to play it up like in the first episode, particularly as like you're not supposed to know that they're um they're 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 like stone busts so that it plays into a first episode gag better, but that's that fails ultimately not only because of how big the the advertising for it points that out, but also they show them on stage at the very beginning before they yeah. get to the part where it's supposed to build that gag up. The first scene fucking spoils the entire gag. Like, it's entirely a thing of this lady went to art school and just fucking hates statues. And, like, the joke is supposed to be the realization that, oh, they're statues. But we already know that. It's yeah, like literally the, whole, the whole thing is fucking... like, I went into idols because I'd never have to see another statue again. It's three and minutes. And of... the four. Yeah, it's three minutes of build-up to a gag where we already know the joke. Yeah, and that's the really the worst part. And honestly... Because that could have been joke, really good, I think. Yeah. It could have been, like... I still think the build-up was a bit too large, and, like, the execution in general to joke itself was also better. Yeah. But it's just... It just got boring. Yeah. Like, there was no incentive to keep watching, really. And that was really unfortunate. Because, like, otherwise, it was, like, it was a perfect thing for a short series because that joke really only lasts about five minutes at a time. Yeah. <sighs> oh, well. They can't all be winners. All right. Speaking um, yeah, of speaking not being of winners, winners. Whoa. <laughs> Some strong words there for yeah. Prince of Stride. Yeah, let's talk about Prince of Stride alternative. Prince of Stride... So Stride is a new competitive sport that is really big uh, in this version of Japan, which is like a version of uh, relay racing and parkour throughout uh, the local towns. And the big race for it is called the End of Summer Race, and all the best schools compete with their uh, teams in that. We have our main female lead, uh, Nana Sakurai, who joins an academy specifically because of how much she likes their stride club. But when she gets there, it turns out that that stride club has disbanded, and all that's left is the bare minimum number of members that they can still consider it a club. So she spends her time trying to build up a new team in time for the big race. And that's basically the plot. It's based on an Otome game, so it's very um, dating sim, like in... First of all, it's antics, and second of all, the way that it introduces and uh, portrays its male characters. They're all very handsome and very dateable, and they run all the time. Yes. And also very uh, tropey. Yeah. What do they run away from? We don't know. Their problems, uh, predominantly. Um, actually, as far as I got, I don't think any of the characters actually had problems. I, I dropped this pretty early... Um, mostly because uh, I think by the time I'd gotten there, it's just like, it's the action of the actual racing was interesting, but it was also done in a way that, like, it's hard to actually follow what's going on. Like, you have no perception of where everyone is in comparison to each other and the actual, like, racing area. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a lot of action shots, but you never really get a context for where anything is 
or how far they are into this race, besides the fact that occasionally they have to swap out for a different racer. I mean, when you stride, you enter the fourth dimension, okay? So that's a real shame, though. If you're going to do something based on action, there has to be some kind of context in which you understand what's happening, you know? Mm -hmm. And also, the characters are really tropey in a way that is not interesting. I can't... I, I would... I feel like it would be incorrect to say that it's bad, but it is definitely very, um stereotypical and generic and ultimately uninteresting. So it's an because it's, they re- they really boil characters down to like a single characteristic sort of thing. Yeah, so it's an otome game. Yeah, so it is it is very very like uh, attached to its uh its like genre, I guess. Yeah, it's just uninteresting is what you're saying. There's a character who's just really into racing to the point where he like really awkwardly, like, sizes people up on, like, the, like by touching their legs and seeing how well-built they are for racing and stuff. And it's just, like, that's his whole thing, is that he's just really into racing, and that's all he thinks about. And then other characters with very similar sort of characteristics and traits. Ah, uh, yeah, no, this guy totally just licks feet all the time because he's really into racing. Well, again, they have to, they have to play in to different fetishes for each girl, who's going to play the game, there's something for everyone. Except me. There was, there really wasn't anything for me. Except for people with good taste. And that's taste. the problem with Winter Stride. Right. Damn. But, like, it really sucks, too, because the first episode, I think, had a really good... Um, had a really good sense of action and direction. And maybe that's just because of how small of a space they worked in. Because when they did a race, it was within the school. So you had a basic idea of already how this, like, two-story school is going to look. And there are all these actions where it's like, one of them is on the first floor because of a shortcut they took, and one of them is on the second floor, so you see kind of this this two-tiered sort of race and the different, like, obstacles they run into because of that. Mm-hmm. Like, there are some cool ideas, and then once it gets to the actual, like, competitive stuff, it sort of loses its steam and loses some of the direction that made it so exciting for the first episode. Yeah. So yeah, not a recommend on your end. Yeah, so I dropped it like three episodes in. Um, Jordan argues that it got better, but also then later on was like, actually, this is getting bad again. So I'd say pass. I mean, Jordan keeps saying the same thing about this podcast. I know we can't trust him. <laughs> Damn. You're right, though. Anyways, so next up, uh, we have a show that I finished. You didn't. No. It's called Showa Genroku Rakugo Shinju, or Lover's Suicide by Rakugo, but they didn't just translate that for some reason. That's a way better title. That's the best fucking title in the world, Lover's Suicide by Rakugo? Man, that would have been great. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, the way it presents itself is it's about a guy named Yatoro who's released from prison and as soon as he gets out, he decides he's going to become a student of someone who performs Rakugo, which is like, um, sort of like a, like, stand-up storytelling sort of art form. Very, like, classically Japanese sort of, like, theater mm-hmm. stuff. Like, single-man performances. 
It's basically some motherfucker sitting in a campfire doing, like, really dumb voices. Yeah, kind of that style, but it's very popular. Yeah, and in Japan, they're like, oh man, he does the man whose hand was lost, and then kills a man in a car voice so well. <laughs> but actually, it turns out that uh, about 90% of the season is actually a flashback given about this guy's teacher, Yakumo, and a contemporary of his who taught under the same other teacher, uh, Sukuroku. And it's about not only the life of these two characters who are very, like, um, distinct and kind of, um, act as, like, a duality towards each other in their, um, in their feelings about the art form and life, and also the dwindling popularity of the art style itself. Uh, I think it's supposed to be, like, post-World War I Japan, so very, like, big economical changes affected as well. Mm -hmm. And it's about just these characters trying to find their place in the world and leading up to, as it turns out, a second season, which it takes place in the modern times and kind of builds on the themes of this flashback, but in, in with new characters. I kind of thought you were going to say a second world war. <laughs> no, jeez! <laughs> One thing I do want to say, though, is that... <laughs> is the, the the way they do the um the second season like teaser is actually kind of neat because uh they like fade out of the uh the last episode and do the credits and then it fades into Yatoro uh in a theater like pretending like he's doing this story as a very long form rakugo and it's like well we need to take an intermission now so we'll see you back for the second part of the story and it kind of plays into the uh, the themes of the show, and it's kind of neat. Actually, it 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 sees a season two by just like fading it to a picture of Hitler. <laughs> What's gonna happen next time? Hitler learns rock ago. <laughs> but you dropped this episode one, and episode one was kind of a daring opening because it's double length compared to everything else. Yeah, episode one is weird, because it's like 40 minutes, and 10 minutes of those are like an entire Rakugo story. Uh, yeah, it does, I think, two full ones. One from uh, uh, one from uh, Yatoro, the student, and one from his teacher. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, as in one way to show kind of differing styles, because one of them is very, like, subdued and elegant in the way he tells stories, and one of them is kind of, like, wild and sort of, um... Dane Cook-esque is the only way I can consider it, is, like, very frantic and sort of, like, uh, uh, just, like, very loud sort of style. He pulls out a racist puppet. Yep, he does the shocker, and then people boo yeah. him. He, mo he moons the audience. What a rock go. <laughs> but uh, you you dropped it, and let's let's talk about that for so, a second, since your, your experience ends faster than mine. Um... I'll be honest here, like, it was really slow, and I think the main problem here is, uh, the draw of Rakugo didn't really interest me enough to, like, keep watching a slow okay. series like that, um, mostly because I feel that it's one of those things that's kind of lost on you if, you know, you don't live in Japan, because it kind of just seemed to me, like, kind of shitty, like, teeters, uh, stand-up. Yeah, I think some of the humor is probably more based in the folklore stories that they're telling. Mm -hmm. So some sort of familiarity 
really benefits you yeah. in this sort of story. You know? Mm-hmm. And I also just think, like, there aren't really enough, like, interesting character hooks to really have grabbed me on to get past the whole ten-minute fucking Rakugo scene. Right. You know? Uh, and I don't know. Like, I don't think it's bad, per se. But it's just I not don't for think you. it really... Yeah, it's not for me. It didn't grab me in any way, and I didn't find the subject matter all that interesting in the end. Yeah, and it's a weird opening, too, because, again, like, 40 minutes in, it turns out that the rest of the season is basically going to be a flashback. So these characters that you've been introduced to and kind of built on really just act as kind of filler for what this first season is. And it seems weird that Mm -hmm. they would use this as the device. Like, the first episode is twice as long, and none of the characters in it are going to matter till season two. Yeah. That also just kind of seems like a view-flying shame. Like, maybe they should have just dropped us in, like, the uh, flashback era, and then kind of, like, I don't know, like, halfway through the first episode, kind of, like, flash-forwards a bit, and, like, introduce that. Yeah, maybe something like that, or or some kind of better transition where it's not... 40 minutes of this leading into 11 episodes of flashback. Like, a maybe a better transition or a better um, representation of what the content's going to be like later yeah. on. But once it gets past that, I think it's a very dramatic, sort of um, compelling story about these two people, their very different approaches to this art form, and how sort of that shows their personality, and it develops who they are as people Mm -hmm. as they kind of deal with the First World War going on and all these other, like, economic issues and personal struggles that cause these different, like, things to change in their lives. Like, um, one of them falls in love... Or, no, sorry, a geisha falls in love with one of them and kind of, like, he reciprocates in kind of the loosest way possible... Until finally, uh, he has to dump her as he leaves to do a, um, a circuit for, uh, soldiers, uh, out on the front lines. At which point, basically to get back at him, this geisha hooks up with his other friend, Sukuroku, and has a child with them and kind of tries to live this family life, pretending that she still doesn't care about this dude. Like, there's just a lot of, like, very dramatics towards it and kind of, like, interpersonal struggles between kind of who you are and who you want to be kind of things. Because one of the main things about the main character of this season, um, Yakumo, is that originally he was trained to be a geisha dancer despite being male, Mm -hmm. because that's the environment he grew up in. But But then as a child, he broke his leg in such a way that he couldn't ever do that again. So... And ultimately, Rakugo becomes this backup, which is, like, the only really thing he can do art-wise still in his life. And it kind of has this struggle with him trying to come to terms with this art form that he finds kind of crass and rude and trying to find his way in that because he doesn't have other choices. There's a lot of really neat character dynamic stuff to it. And if you can, if you can deal with the fact that, like, 
five minutes of most episodes are based around one of these characters telling a really long form story, then I think there's a lot of really interesting sort of character stuff that goes on. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely a hard sell, not only because of the double length first episode, but also it's based around this art form that just doesn't have a, it doesn't have any sort of history with the American viewer. Yeah, that's also just kind of a weird thing. Yeah, it seems such like a distinctly Japanese sort of show that it almost seems strange that it got pulled over here. Um, But I can see why it's popular, and I enjoyed watching the whole thing. Okay, so I actually have a question. Um, Uh Uh-huh. So, the thing about these shows, do animes usually actually get, like, a pilot and such to, uh... I don't think so. Usually, uh, these shows don't get pilots. They are just greenlit. And then they make a preview, which are those, like, 30-second, one-minute-long commercials. Because... They don't, they don't get a pilot to run by for the most part. Uh, manga get pilots. Hmm. Anime generally do not. Yeah, cause that's kind of a thing, cause as a first ep, cause if the first episode was like a pilot, you know, like American style, uh, probably wouldn't get picked up. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. It's like, it's definitely a very slow moving sort of show for a very specific sort of audience. Yeah. I feel like a show like this, honestly, would work out a lot better if it was actually, like, a real-life show with actual actors, to be honest. Like, live action. Yeah, live action, sorry. Yeah, because there's nothing distinctly... There's nothing distinctly, like, anime about it, really. It is very much just real people doing these very real things in sort of a historical Mm -hmm. setting. There's nothing particularly, like, fantastical about it, like... They tell stories, they live lives, and they kind of try to come to terms with who they are as people and how they're going to continue on. It's it's very much like a drama that wouldn't look out of place in live action. And, like, it, it definitely builds up this kind of, like, the duality of the two main characters, uh, Yakumo and Sukuroku, is built up not only in how they perform, because one of them is very loud and abrasive, and one of them is very elegant and light and sort of... They refer to kind of seductive in the way that he does his performances. Mm-hmm. But also, like, the way that they treat this geisha character, as I kind of hinted at before in sort of these relationships. How they handle dealing with other people. Because Sukuroku, everyone kind of... Everyone in the Rakugo community sort of hates him. Because he is abrasive and he's irreverent and he uh, spends all of his money on booze and never gets, like, nice-looking robes for performances, so he always kind of looks ratty. But the audience loves him, and that's sort of, like, this thing that the, uh, they have, like, elders in Rakugo who, like, decide who becomes, like, big name and who becomes, you know, who ends up not becoming big name. And they have this problem where it's like, this guy's really popular, but also he doesn't respect any of the, uh, any of the art form, any of the nuance to it. And then we have the other main character, we have um, Yakumo, who, he doesn't really know what he's doing, he kind of just stumbles into this and finds his niche, and he is sort of a darling among them because he's so proper and he's so polite, despite the fact that he's also kind of an asshole on the uh when it when it comes to actually treating other people as people which is also 
partially sort of like a um, a time period thing. Like, it's very, very built on this sort of, like, men dominate sort of thing, women only speak when spoken to sort of setting. Yeah. For the most part, I was... I was pretty riveted by it. I, it was a very neat sort of character drama. Um, it just seems like a weird choice, I guess. Uh, there was one weird part. There's one weird sort of um, trope, I guess, that always seems weird when they try to build it up as like this dramatic reunion of lovers, which is occasionally they'll have like a character lick the tears off of the other person. That's really, <laughs> really creepy. Is that it? Is that supposed to be, like, a thing? I I feel like this happens frequently enough that it's, like, a thing, but I don't know. I mean, I do it all the time. I just just scare people. I drink (laughs) their tears right off their face. Like, that breaks up a very dramatic scene, but I think then, like, doesn't linger on it long enough for it to be weird. And the the title ends up coming up right, right at the very end, kind of this... This lead up to sort of something you already know if you know the translated name. Sukuroku, who is married to this geisha who's still in love with, uh, Yakumo. And they end up having this, like, fight on a balcony over who this geisha is actually loves and who she, you know, is going to stay with. And it turns out that Sukuroku and his, uh, wife fall off and die falling into a a rapids right underneath the balcony of this hotel. And so part and so part of the like teaser for season two is the fact that uh Yakumo lives with sort of this haunt, you know, he's kind of haunted by the fact that ultimately, in a way, he led to the death of his best friend, and he has to deal with this as sort of like the art form that Sukuroku fought so hard to like change and stylize for a new generation is dying. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that ends up building up into a second season, which it's good that it got one because of that. But the whole thing just seems like sort of an odd, odd choice. But I liked it. I liked it a lot. Honestly, like... As far as, like, very, like, typical sort of shows, I think it's one of the best. Like, just... Typical people living in this very, like, period time sort of thing. Honestly, it's kind of a shame, like, after the uh, halftime show we canceled. Uh, like, I tried to give it another shot, but man, I just can't get past the subject matter itself. Because, like, as a period piece, it sounds, like, really good. But <laughs> it sounds like just such, like, a inherently, like, cultural thing that I just cannot get past that and enjoy it for what it is. And that's kind of a shame. Yeah, that that's totally understandable. And I think that's... I can't say that's a failing, but it's definitely a thing that's going to, I guess, hinder sort of a, um... Like, an overseas audience. Yeah. And I can't think of, like, a, a equivalent, like, where an American show would just have something so... I guess, uniquely American that it couldn't make it overseas. I guess maybe, like, a Breaking Bad or something? But I feel like that's also very popular overseas, so I'm not sure. I don't know. Like, Breaking Bad, I really got as, like, a European myself. Like, Breaking Bad, I really got into that. I mean, Japan loves Matt, so they'll love Breaking Bad. (laughs) But yeah, um, I think it's... I, it's just, it was a good show, and I can understand that it's definitely not for everyone. Next up is Dagashi Kashi, which I'll be a lot quicker about. 
Um, Takashi Kashi more or less is uh, a candy commercial uh, disguised as an anime, mm-hmm. which was adapted from a candy commercial disguised as a manga. Um, the entire thing is basically just a, a kid works at a candy store with his dad, and he really wants to be a manga author. And his dad really wants him to take over the family business, and they live out in the country where he really doesn't have many options if he stays there, which is why he wants to become a manga author and move to the city. But the city girl named uh, Hotaru appears, and she runs a huge... or she's the uh, daughter of uh, the owner of a huge candy conglomerate business in the city, and wants to buy out the shop. And the, the, the candy store owner agrees if Hotaru can get his son... Kokonatsu to um, take over the business. And so the entire thing is a an attempt of hers to get him to show how much he loves candy and realize that this is what he wants to do with his life forever. And ultimately, it's just a big, huge commercial. Uh, oh, every episode... <laughs> oh, thanks, Dad. You fucking, like, forced me into this candy store and insult me out to a corporation. Wow, thanks a lot. <laughs> That's the good stuff. Yeah, I, I love being a fucking slave to some person all the way out in fucking Tokyo, like, telling me that I'm not working enough and making me probably uh, close my store in, like, three years. <laughs> so each episode is breaking in, uh, broken into two stories, each of which revolves around a particular type of candy or snack uh, that is very, like, Japanese in origin, like, um, umaibo which are basically just, like, um, giant singular Cheetos that are flavored in a bunch of really different ways. Like, this is a staple of Japanese culture, and there have been just, like, hundreds of flavors of it. And other things like that, just, like, different weird candies and stuff, like, you know, kind of, like, they're different jawbreakers and things like that. And I think when it focuses on trying to tell you about Japanese cultural candy, it works because... For me, as an American, I I find that sort of thing kind of interesting to see sort of, like, these, like, staple sort of snack foods. Just as, like, a, oh, this is this is what it's like to be sort of, like, a kid there and eat these sort of weird snacks, even if uh, umaibo are disgusting and terrible. Um, it's just... Uh, a kind I of don't an- know about that. I have had several of them, and none of them have been good. Well, buddy... Uh, I would still like to try it. I have never had Japanese candy in my life. Yeah, and there are some neat Japanese candy stuff that you can get. It's just like... And that was kind of neat to learn about from this show. But then it also tries to be a comedy series, and in that it falters more often than not, I feel. Like, um... Because a lot of the comedy that it tries to go for is very sort of, like, slapsticky. And sort of, like, fan service laden because the main female character has big boobies. And, like, they just kind of play play on that maybe a bit too hard. Because, like, the episodes that I found the most engaging and most interesting are the ones where it's, like, they end up going to, like, just a festival and the characters have time to just be themselves while interacting with these weird, uh, like, candies and snacks that they sell at festivals. The less that they try to, like, play up these character roles and let them more naturally, like, interact with each other, I think the show is at its best. And at mm-hmm. its worst, it has sort of, like, very kind of... It it has kind of poor execution. Because it has things like this, you know, they have a scene where 
the uh, the kid Kokonatsu walks in on his dad, like trying to trying to advertise his store by like playing up this very like cutesy YouTube personality sort of thing, and kind of they have this fight over how shitty he is at advertising his own products, kind of stuff, and like that that sort of thing is like a pretty decent comedic thing, and so is the one where like the two characters decide to have a huge race using these like these like caramel candies that are uh they are um advertised to be like so many uh calories of energy in every single one so what they do is every time they've worked off that many calories of the candy so like every like quarter mile or so they just eat another one and just pretend that's how energy works in the human body and like things like that are kind of just cutesy sort of fun things that don't rely too much on sort of like wackiness. Ah, uh, cutesy fun things fucking lying to you about calories. Yeah, I think you know what, it's, it's like, it's not it's not anything too like, over the top or trying to be like, malicious or anything it's just, like, dumb fun. Uh, but this I fucking up- grow fat you ignorant fool, this is cute, this is great. But I ended up dropping it because they literally got to a point where they made nothing but breast jokes for half an episode and I was done. Anyways, that's my thoughts on Dagashikashi. <laughs> Next up, we have Dimension W. Uh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah, so Dimension W is this sci-fi setting where a fourth dimension has been discovered. It's called Dimension W. It's, it's, you get his. It. See, they did the... Wow. But, wow. <laughs> but, um... Wow! In this fourth dimension... <laughs> But they've discovered a way to harness sort of a limitless energy from this dimension through a technology called coils. Um, but, and it's about this guy named Kyoma, who is a, basically like a bounty hunter for illegal coils, which mainly the issue with it is if they go haywire, it can cause like catastrophic sort of disasters. Um, when the, they overload and sort of unleash the energy of the, uh, of the Dimension W. And that's basically it. He runs into an android named Mira, who runs on kind of a super coil, and he unfortunately has to get this sidekick, uh, throughout the entire thing. And that's, like, the main conceit of the story. Dimension W starts off well enough. I think. Uh... It doesn't start off bad, at least. Like, first episode kind of gets you introduced to the theme and the settings and works out really well in that particular way. So, like, the gritty, sort of, like, dystopian sort of future. I think the thing that got me to quit it was the fact that, like, the female main character... Okay, so the female main character looks like she's 14, and in the first episode... Four episodes, she's, like, naked three times... There's an there's like an episode where she is just fucking half naked like for twelve minutes. Yeah, that's episode four. I don't it's, feel like they really played that up until that episode, and then they really played it up. I hate it. I one really other hate. issue with the story is that it it the stakes raise like a million miles by episode two. And that's, like, a big problem. By episode two, they've already introduced, like, this, this, like, super original coil that's, like, can harness even more unlimited energy and, like, 
in vast amounts. So they've already got this huge, like, collectathon thing going on. And then they drop, like, two or three other over-encompassing plots. Like, there's a point... Jordan tried to convince me that, like, later on it got better. And I reached an episode where they dropped a third overarching plot, which is the concept of starting a war between um, countries for coil energy in order to prevent wars over coil energy. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can only you can only raise the stakes so high until they become comical. Because um, you can't be invested in the characters at that point because there's just so much other shit going on. I think my big problem kind of was, there was like this really neat like murder mystery thing of this otter got killed with like water oh, yeah. in his throat. Um, like they dropped, they they dropped sort of the big overarching plot for one, where it's like, "Hey, uh, you need to go figure out what happened to this dude because we think some kind of fucked up coils involved." Mm-hmm. And it is, yeah, it's a murder mystery where a guy gets, um, a guy uh, basically drowns in his room, and there's no footage showing what happened. It's basically like the the surveillance robot he had shows it immediately before he died and then like immediately after so there's no there's no concept of what actually happened yeah and i was like neat i'm actually kind of interested in this because i was just bored with the first three episodes because i don't really like how to show this world building by just telling you about everything yeah it's it's a it's a heavy tell sort of show but anyway uh and then and, naked uh robot yeah, and then this lady is just like naked for most fits. That's that's it. Like, and there's all... no reason for it to be that way either. Yeah. Like, there's there's definitely like you can have nudity in a show and not have it like be sexual or like kind of that sort of like gross quality. But it it's very clearly just a fan service thing. I mean, like here's also my point. At this point, I expect anime to just be about titties. But this okay. girl looks fourteen. Okay. That's also a big issue, yeah. Like, that's just... I'm sorry, that just goes too far. Just too far for me. So, anyway, it destroyed all goodwill I had, and then, from what I heard you guys say, that entire murder mystery is just, oh, it's ghosts. Yep, it turns out it's ghosts. Turns out it's ghosts caused by, uh, coils. Who gives a shit? What's happening is that two timelines are simultaneously on top of each other in this area. (laughs) So technically, they're not ghosts. They are people from alternate timelines that can portray themselves as ghosts in this particular timeline. It's not good. But, like, okay, so let me just say, that you is, You could like, play that off as at least an entertaining story, but they failed mm-hmm. to do that. But another point with that is it completely kind of goes against the principles of what was built up in, like, the previous episodes of this is yeah. kind of like... Uh, like, fucked up sci-fi setting, and then suddenly you just have the paranormal entering in, and it makes everything feel like kind of a cop-out, because the murder mystery is more interesting of, okay, so what the hell, uh, like, made... Like, I was kind of thinking, like, oh, the robot somehow murdered that guy? Right, like, it got hacked or something or anything. And, like, the interesting thing that could be about it is, like, why did this get hacked, and by whom, and it's just, oh no, it's just ghosts. 
Yeah, it's it's a it is it. I feel like Dimension W really doesn't know what it wants to be. It does because if it because if it wanted to be, uh, like the sci-fi techno stuff, they drop the paranormal stuff. If they wanted to just be like an action series where anything could happen, don't try to build up this very like hard idea that it is a super tech-based world and everything is going to be tech-based. Yeah. So, uh, I kind of want to wrap this up, so I'm just going to tell you guys the best part. There's, like, this fucking, like, scar badass, like, ex-soldier out there who's now a Master Thief, and he's named Loser. Yep. <laughs> and he, I think, and it's like, and like, there's just this part where a whole bunch of people are really excited to see him try to steal a thing and fail, and they're just out there cheering, loser, loser, loser. <laughs> and it's like, and it's like, that's kind of funny. It's but like then it plays every into one day of, the of big my bosses. life. <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, Dimension W isn't good, and I can't believe that's the one show of this season that got picked up by Toonami. Yeah, no, Dimension W is really bad, and it's weird because I saw a ton of people excited for it, and then just after, like, the first two episodes, nothing. You know what was good, though? The opening. Eh. It gave me a headache. I I can see that, but there are at least two really good things about the opening. One, it's done by the same people who did the gangsta opening, and it's basically the same song, so it's got that same sort of, like, pump-up energy. And two... As soon as the drop hits, instead of, like, some cool action thing, it just has the main character, like, doing a hip-hop dance. <laughs> Which then leads into, at the end of that scene, he does that stupid rap move where he, like, puts his hand over the camera so that it can, like, seamlessly transition into whatever's next. Mm-hmm. Man, it's great. But, uh, yeah, the rest of the show, not so much. Alright, next up. Uh, we have Snow White with the Red Hair Season 2, or Akagami no Shiryukihime. Which, um... So the first season was two, three seasons ago? And focused more predominantly on the developing relationship between the two main characters, Shiryuke and this prince, Zen. And kind of Shiryuke, how she ends up working in his castle after running away from her country, and this this budding relationship between the two of them, which literally everyone else in the world is trying to stop because, you know, princes can't marry commoners and things like that. Mm -hmm. Sort of this very, like, very, like, casual fantasy sort of setting. Like, very, um... Very sort of, like, European medieval, I guess? Kind of European fairy tale-ish? Yeah, fairy tale I think is the best way to do it because it's not like there's no real magic or anything. It's it's very grounded in just sort of like swords, like swords and bows, sort of combat and stuff. But it's definitely fairy tale ish in how it presents itself, and I think that's a really neat, first of all, like kind of setting to go with, and I think it works well for it. So with season two, um, season one ends with Shiryuki and Zen confessing their love to each other and kind of. Uh, both just going, I love you too, and having this sort of, like, really tender moment where they can just spend time with each other. Season 2 opens with uh, Shiryuki being called to act as an ambassador to her homeland uh, under the under the request of the prince, uh, Raj, who 
the first episode of season one tried to um, kidnap her and poison her to make her one of his concubines. And, like, through season one, he shows up again and kind of, like, is hella whipped and sort of afraid of them because of what happened to him after that. But this season spends time developing him as a legitimate character. He's no longer just kind of like a goofy villain or sort of like comic relief. He's legitimately trying to find a way to better himself. And the way he knows to do that is through Shiryuki, who is the first woman or person, I think, in the story to actually like reprimand him for being kind of a shithead. And so this, this, it's this nice sort of character building that first of all separates Shiryuki and Zen. So no, so like, Instead of having it be just about kind of this romance that's building, it's now about the difficulties of being apart from each other after it, but also helps to build up these other characters that otherwise are just kind of comic relief or seemed like they were minor roles. And it sort of builds as it goes later on, like there's this um, there's this whole sequence of these um, thieves who are tied to Shiryuki's father in some way, trying to kidnap her and steal her away because they feel like she doesn't belong in this royal setting. And there are pirates, and there's there's a surprising amount of action for what is otherwise a very, like, rote sort of romance series. Yeah. It's a very... I think it's very different from season one, and it's a lot darker in tone, but I think it hits the same sort of notes of, like... First of all, Shiryuki is a competent character who can do things on her own for the most part and, like, definitely has her own goals in mind. She is an independent character, but also builds up these other characters as equally important and sort of develops them and makes them interesting and intriguing, which is, it just has a really strong cast of characters that it pulls from. And it's just, I don't know, I really really loved this show in a way that I wouldn't have expected to over the two seasons because, like, shoujo romance can either go really well or kind of really poorly. Like, yeah. one of the one of the big p- issues I generally have with it is that um, a lot of them, the, the, the climax of the story and the ending of the story is the confession or the first kiss sort of thing. And, sh- and uh, Snow White with the Red Hair doesn't do that. Season one, it builds that up, and then it has more story after that, where it still builds on these sort of, like, fairy tale sort of politics sort of stuff, and it deals with a lot more themes than just the romance at hand, and I think it handles them all really well. It's a very, very nice-looking series, and just, like, very, like, down-to-earth sort of casual kind of stuff for the most part, and then when the action picks up, it feels like there's an actual threat and stuff like that. It's just a really solid show, I think. You're talking to a... Like, you're talking to the wrong person about that, because, like, romance is the one genre I can just not get into. (laughs) Yeah, and I I absolutely get that. Yeah. Especially with, like, anime romance, there are a lot of things that can end up being... There are a lot of things that can end up being just kind of, like, boring or blasé, kind of. For some reason, whenever I watch romance, I always get secondhand embarrassments. Just always. (laughs) I think, um, I think, uh, Shiryuki Hime does a good job of avoiding that particular sort of romance trope. It's not so much about these characters being embarrassing around each other. 
Though that occasionally does happen where both of them just, like, you know, have something embarrassing happening and they react to it, but... Or well, you're I just think, saying, like, in general, romance gives you a secondhand embarrassment. Um, I think in media, like, I don't give a shit if fucking people on the street are making out, but I think in media in general, but also because I feel like most media, like, romances are terribly written. Mm-hmm. Like, they are super overwrought. Yeah, I can get that. I, I Again, I feel like the show is different than a lot of very typical ones, but I can understand the uh the distaste for sort of the romance genre and yeah. why you wouldn't want to watch this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to see two animes make out, go ahead. Go Hawk Wild, buddy. <laughs> There's a different genre for that. They just kiss once or twice. But, like, it's, I, I don't know, it's a very feel-good sort of series, and I really liked it for that sake. Um, yeah, I never want to feel good. <laughs> yeah, feeling good is for nerds and sucks. Yeah. What am I, a homo? <laughs> and then last up, for a show that both of us watched, we got Lupin the Third, part oh, four. Oh, man. Lupin the Third is so good. Love me the Lupin. Uh, Lupin, he is back! And he's getting married in Italy! Uh, settling down, bringing an end to his criminal ways? Nah. So, uh, Lupin's all up to his old tricks as he kind of just explores Italy's history and art and culture and such. And kind of might catch up to him if he's not too careful. Lupin, uh, I wasn't sure what to expect from it when it's like, oh, we're rebooting Lupin after 10, 20 years sort of thing. But, oh, man, it was just good. It was... Like, honestly, even with anime, I must see, like, I have a boatload of complaints normally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one was so good. I only really found, like, one serious planet, and that was more of my own personal taste than anything. <laughs> and that was that there wasn't more of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Lupin didn't come out of screen and make out with me. He's such a dreamboat. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I I really love Lupin the Turd. It was just, like, a really nice... Mostly episodic series, and um, one of the best things I think about it is the fact that, like, every episode feels entirely different in tone, but it's all handled so well. Like, one episode can be entirely serious, and one can be kind of comedic in tone. Yeah, like, they can have, you know, they can have one where, like, suddenly they're trapped in sort of this, like, death game, and they, you know, they have to find a way out before, like one of them murders everyone else because apparently one of them has been mind-controlled. And then they have an episode where it's like, oh, I have to deliver this dog to a cruise ship before I get home because I'm really... because someone promised they'd have sex with me if I did, sort of thing. Yeah. Or, like, for example, like, one of them is literally just, like, is Lupin the Turd pulls the longest con to get out of jail? Yeah, there's... it's And it blends both things because it's like... Uh, in this particular episode, he gets caught and gets taken to prison. And constantly, he's just doing this, he's doing this thing where he, like, breaks out of prison and then, uh, the, the main, um, policeman who's been chasing him throughout this entire series, Zenigata, keeps, like, catching him as he's trying to break out. And so Lupin's like, hey, pops, can you tell that they're breaking out too easy? Why don't you make this harder for me? Jeez. And eventually it just leads him to being on a secluded island, uh, completely encased 
in iron with no windows and no way to look out and like a a lock that can only be opened from the outside because it's like a key pin sort of thing. Yeah. And then he spends the entire episode, like, slowly dying in this prison, and then it turns out that the whole time it's been this long con to it's trick so Zenigata bad. to be in prison instead. It's, it's like, so good. And then, like... And the reveal is so fucking stupid, like, he's, like, sitting at where the, like, food comes in to, like, figure out the perspective, because what he's doing is he's drawing a picture of himself on the floor, such that when Zenigata looks in through the food tray, it's gonna look like he's lying there dead, instead of the, like, huge garbled mess that it actually is on the floor. Yeah. Oh, man. And, like, that's, like, just such a good fucking, like, comedic thing in general. And then there's just, like, other episodes where it's just this really nice, quaint thing about, like, this old couple where one of the... where the wife is, like, dying and it's all about their old car they shared in their childhood. Yeah, there's just so many different moods to it and I feel like it handles them all pretty well. Yeah. And it balances the cast pretty well, too, because early on there's the episode with just, um... The gunman, uh, Daisuke Jigen. Like, the one, uh, where he ends up in the, uh, town where no guns are allowed because of the mafia. And it's just this whole, like, thing where he, he ends up taking down this entire mafia gang, you know, kind of, and, like, saving this city from sort of this horrible existence that it has. And, like, there's just, there's just so much going on in the series that there's, like, there is an episode for basically anyone. Oh, yeah. Like, I think this is also just a really good introduction to Loop in the Third. Uh, mm-hmm. Mostly because it, early on, it does have those episodes where it just focus on, like, each of the central cast. Right. Now, however, I do have one problem with it. Mm-hmm. I do have one problem in general with, like, the larger overcome. Like, the larger. Um, I'm kind of at a loss for words Plot? here. Oh. Yeah, the larger plot in general. Um, I don't it's like weird. it. It's yeah. weird, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I feel like, while it it has a satisfying conclusion, I feel like the things leading up to that were kind of a stumbling block. Yeah, I feel it, like, is a bit too out there. Now, I will say this. I haven't watched part one through three of Lupin the Third, but it kind of just feels a bit too surreal for its own goods. Yeah, Lupin and... is generally pretty grounded in its world. But then yeah. they have they have MI6 from England, like the intelligence agency, like the James Bond sort of stuff, revives um, Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> and and Leonardo creates... da Vinci is, is given the, like is given even more knowledge than he currently had, and he ends up building this thing so that he can, like, force his mind, like, force himself into everyone's minds and paint basically a perfect world unification under his command. Okay, let's be real here. Total bullshit. Leonardo da Vinci just wants to fuck himself. And also maybe paint. What a loser. But it's like, that... I, that does build on the sort of, like, Da Vinci was sort of, like, ahead of his time as far as, like, technology and stuff, but, like, it's just such a weird plot to sort of shove into this. 
Well, it's also kind of a weird plot, because a lot of it focuses on, like, this anime original character called Rebecca Rossellini. And also and, Da Vinci. <laughs> yeah. Well, the original anime character, Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. Yeah. He was Never real. before seen. Yeah, um, Rebecca is uh, specific to part four, so that's kind of the tie-in, I guess, to the whole thing. Yeah, and it feels very weird, because, like, Rebecca doesn't really feel like she's actually designed by the same person who did all the other stuff. Because I don't think Rebecca doesn't fit in the story, but I think the plot points they try to throw in don't fit in. Yeah, no. I think, like, her character is pretty alright altogether, although I don't really like how she essentially falls in love with Lupin. By the end? Yeah. Yeah, but the rest of it is, like, she's basically, it's like, I'm bored of being rich and popular and, uh, and like, doing nothing with my life, so I'm going to become a thief on the side. Like, that's fine. That's a, that's a, that's a neat way to treat a character, especially in One Full yeah. of Thieves. I, I think that's alright, but I think the big problem is with the essential, like, kind of capturing of her falling in love with Lupin, and it kind of being this tough romance thing? Yeah, is that it kind of makes Lupin feel like more of a scumbag than he is? Ah, Lupin's pretty much, he's kind of a scumbag. Yeah, he's kind of a scumbag, but like... But not he, to the he, same degree, I can agree. Yeah, because like, he's kind of this womanizer, and I feel that's kind of a central conceit of his character. And well, like, that being kind of scummy, probably, you know... Like, at least if someone, if he's in some weird fucking love with someone, it just feels, like, actually way scummier. Yeah, I can see that. But, I mean, like, he, I feel like he was never truly in love with Rebecca in the same way that he is implied to be in love with uh, Fujiko. Yeah, but that's why it's such a weird point. And, like, I kind of saying, like, half love, because, like... It doesn't really go anywhere, it's just mostly... It mostly feels towards the end they didn't really know what to do with this character to wrap up her arc, so it's just, oh, yeah. she falls in love with Lupin, I guess. It gives him a cool one-liner at the end, as he, like, walks his way off of a roof. And that's basically it. <laughs> and dies. He just kills himself right there. <laughs> it's messed up. Um, <laughs> But, like... It- like Lupin is definitely like a scumbag because like there's the there's the episode where he goes to like a wine tasting and takes both Fujiko and Rebecca and tries to tries to make it seem like he's definitely not taking two women to the same event at the same time. Oh yeah. And I I think my favorite thing is at the end like they knew it was fucking obvious and they just like make fun of him for it. I know. But yeah, Lupin the Turk uh, despite kind of the flaws of, like, not feeling, knowing what to do with this original anime character, and or it like kind of not fitting deciding in. to add a plot in. Yeah, that's the big problem. Um, like, the big plot is still just good. kind of weird. Yeah, I think it still works really well. I think overall the characters are really well balanced. Yeah, like, I wouldn't really say, except for maybe, like, the over-encompassing plot and, like, some of the MI6 episodes... Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say any of the episodes are actually bad, which is pretty good track record for something that's episodic. Yeah, and I think uh, Lupin does a good job of, like, not only giving you background to the characters, but also delivering sort of their characters through the things they do. 
Yeah. Like, you don't have to know these backstories to them, but it also, like, helps paint the sort of, like, stories in different lights. Like, the whole, um... Like, the... Oh, I can't think of his name, but the samurai character? Uh, Goemon? Yeah, Goemon. Like, that whole background thing where he runs into someone who, like, used to be part of that, like, huge assassin-like squad to kill one particular world leader thing. Helps Mm -hmm. paint, sort of, the character in a different light that didn't need to be there, but it's interesting, and it works. Because otherwise you still sort of get his character. I think also one of the best things they really do did as, like, a new watcher is just kind of introduce characters by just showing, like, uh, what their actual role is. Yeah. Just, like, sometimes when introducing new characters, a ton of anime has... Like, a bunch of really dumb shit where it's just, like, they actually explain the character itself rather than letting them just, like, kind of organically be introduced. Yeah, because it'll be like, hi, I'm Naruto, I'm ten years old, I love ramen and being a ninja. But this is just, like, it throws you in with enough context that you sort of can figure out everyone's basic, uh, basic, like, motivations and everything. Yeah. So yeah, Lupin the Turk, fucking fantastic. Uh, it's probably my anime of the season. Yeah, it's it was just, it was really good. Um, I think it was kind of unfortunate that the way that Crunchyroll got it is you, like, kind of, they backlogged 12 episodes and then continued on after that, because it made it hard to catch up mm-hmm. with. But I think it was a really good series. Um, yeah, it's Oh yeah, just, no, totally. It's got, a, it's just like, oozes sort of style and charm. And, like, you can just tell that, like, everything sort of fell together in that sort of way. Like, I I really hope they do a new Loop in the Turk series, like, sometime soon, because, like, yeah. this is probably some of the most fun I've had watching anime on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think one really neat thing about the series as a whole is apparently they're getting the original cast, the original dub cast from parts one and three back to do the dub. Kind of like how they got the part one and three people in Japan to do the Japanese ones, too. So it is. it feels very much like, sort of like, not only like a revival, but like a very, like, passion product sort of thing. Where it's like, he didn't do this because he needed money or whatever. He did this because he really wanted to do this. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you learn a little bit about Italy. Yeah. Love that place. Yeah. It looks pretty nice. At least pretty nice if you like uh, Da Vinci and if you like uh, women pizza? in distress. They, they draw a lot of pizza. Oh, yeah, no. And it looks pretty good. Anime pizza always looks good. And then you eat, and then you eat Japanese pizza and it's disgusting because they put mayonnaise on it. And shrimp. Shrimp oh. and mayo is the combo of choice. Um, and... It always feels like they just throw more budget at making the food look good than maybe anything else in an anime. <laughs> yeah. Then let's be honest, what are we watching anime for besides the food? Really? I can't wait for Anime Kitchen Nightmares. <laughs> oh, that would actually be kind of cool. It would be so good. They have the... They have the guy in the back, like, trying to make a grilled cheese, but he just throws cheese on a grill. That woman who says, mushrooms are important to me, and I'm from Poland, and she slowly turns into a mushroom. Yep, that happens. 
just like throw in the weird kitchen nightmares. You know what? Even go like full balls to the wall, like make it super crazy. Like the dude who's like, oh, I bet Yelp is like making these fake, re- uh, fa- these bad reviews so that they can, I can pay them to remove them and then make it actually like a conspiracy against whatever Yelp company they use. Oh, like just man. go balls to the wall, like kitchen nightmares. I, th- I think we got a pitch for A1 Pictures here. And then do an entire season based on Amy's Bakery. <laughs> all right. But, uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, Kitchen Nightmares also airing. <laughs> so there was one more last-minute addition to this review, because the show was technically labeled as being for this spring season, but ended up being released weekly in the last four weeks of the last season. So I thought I should add it here, just because it's already done and we can talk about it. And that is um, She and Her Cat, Everything Flows, which is a um, a four-episode short series based on the first student film by a director named um, Makoto Shinkai, who is really well-known for um, doing, like, big sort of dramatic movies like The Garden of Words and Five Centimeters Per Second and, uh, like, voices of a distant star and things like that. He's known as a very, um, very artsy director. Like, all of his movies look really, really good and all sort of have these, like, personal, dramatic sort of stories to them. And this is a series based on his first student film. It's very, like, amateurish. It's, like, five minutes long where he's the only voice in it, um... And kind of just tells the story of this this cat as it lives in the apartment of a a girl who's finishing school and needs to find a job and kind of having a lot of trouble in that market. Mm-hmm. And so the the full series is more or less more of the same. It is about this it's about this uh, this cat who has been a family cat for years and years. And when the daughter of this family moved out, she took the cat with her. And sort of, it is a story about the struggles of being kind of someone caught in between school and jobs and the pressure pushed upon them, but through the eyes of the cat. So instead of seeing into all of the things that um, the, ma- the the human character is going through, you sort of see it from these more, like, childish isn't quite the right word, but more, like, um, innocent sort of eyes, like, sees very everything sort of, like, through the through the idea of what a cat knows about life. Because this cat was abandoned and picked up, like, on the side of the street and taken care of after that. And sort of, this cat, like, understands basic concepts of, like, distrust and sort of finding family and kind of tries to be tries to, like, be the, um, a pillar, sort of, for this girl as she deals with all of these problems and trying to do what he can to comfort its owner. And I think it's really, like, it's really saccharine, but I think it's also very sweet and sort of, like, a genuine sort of project that tries to, like, kind of, uh, look at sort of the, the kind of, like, harsh and yet beautiful world that we all live in through the eyes of a more um, juvenile sort of... A lesser being. 
Well, okay, if you want to go that far. But I think it tries to be a lot more juvenile and simplistic with what it tries to say about life and our place in it. Is the director of the movie actually associated with the anime? Um, I think he is only the, like, uh, he is, like, credited for the original story, and he doesn't have a part in the actual, um, in the actual staff. Like, he's not the director, he's not the script writer, and I know that much. Yeah, because the way you're talking about it, especially... Like, it kind of seems like this guy is kind of, like, the artsy, kind of, like, intellectual, like, um, mm-hmm. anime type. And this series doesn't really sound like that at all. And I think intellectual is, like, a term that definitely, like, has some connotations that I wouldn't exactly put on him. But I see what you mean. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still a very, like, it's a very cute series, and it builds on some of the themes that he presented in his original story. And it kind of has a um, kind of a cute sort of like callback to the first to the original one, because in the TV series, this uh, character has a black cat. And by episode four, it's implied that this cat is passed on. It's very old. And so the girl finds this new cat abandoned under a bridge. And it's the same type of cat from the movie, kind of showing that it's maybe a a bit of a prequel or it's just like a cute callback to its origins. But there's just a lot of story of the cat from the first movie. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's a very, it's a very cute sort of show. It's really easy to watch. It's like, I think over its entire runtime, it's the length of an anime episode. And it's just a very like sweet saccharine sort of look at life. I don't know. I, I like really dug it. It's a very pretty sort of show. Um, cause I believe the like director, uh, what, uh, used to work at KyoAni and you can see sort of those like very sharp, distinct sort of details in how the art is handled without having to be KyoAni. But yeah, I, I just really dug it. It was a really nice sort of heartwarming thing to watch each week. I think that's all of the season. Yeah. So you only ended up watching two, um, you only ended up finishing two anime, which is probably better than I think you did back when you were on the podcast. Yeah. Um, bear in mind, like, I wasn't really planning to be on this season. Like, I just kind of fell into it because I had a lot of time and, uh, I had a lot of wheat, and I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> and so you watched all of Lupin. Yeah, I watched all of Lupin, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, but yeah, so, like, I didn't have a lot of time. And honestly, like, I'm gonna be real honest, uh, a lot of anime, I kind of have higher standards for it than I think you or Jordan do. Oh, yeah, I have, like, no standards. <laughs> And, uh, just in general, I also kind of... A lot of anime legit doesn't interest me conceptually much. Yeah, I think you are not a prime... You are definitely not part of a primary audience of anime. Yeah. Because, like... For, you don't have any nostalgia for any of the things that it tries to build upon, and you don't care about romance. Mm-hmm. 
Like, uh, I and that don't eliminates don't... like three quarters of anime. <laughs> yeah, and I don't care. I also don't care about animated titties. So, whoops, there goes the other quarter of anime. Oh, please. <laughs> I already included that in the other ones because I said romance. Uh, well, sometimes a titty can be there without romance, buddy. Name one time. Okay, you're right. <laughs> But it feels like they always fall into sort of the harem structure, which kind of builds oh, yeah, it into no, romance. Totally. But yeah, but yeah, I get that, and it's nice to have you back on as the uh, as the a voice of negativity. Oh, <laughs> right no. as Jordan skips out, so suddenly all, all I all, I can only fight against you. I no longer have someone backing me up. <laughs> That's right, Chirps. Soon there'll be nothing left of you. You'll wake up in the morning and go, "Man, you know what I hate? Anime." Oh, no. But, um, so Jordan did a thing after every uh, season, which was basically just, like, how you'd rate the season as a whole based on the shows you watched, what you stuck with, and kind of etc. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, but- I think this one, even though I dropped, like, half of the shows that I originally went in vaguely interested in, I think mm-hmm. I think the ones that I stuck with were really strong, and so ultimately it's like three out of five. It wasn't a great season, but the shows that stuck with me were really good. Um, I dropped a lot of shows, like I think uh, Rakugo, like which you, I dropped was you dropped um, okay three of the um, five that was on here. Yeah, I think Rakugo, and you recognize that one of them was okay. It just wasn't yeah, your thing. One of them is okay. Uh. Arise pretty good, but kind of peters out the end. Lupin the Third is fantastic, and like the rest, I just kind of dropped because they were not that great. Um, looking at the season overall, from what you were talking to me, though, I honestly also go a three out of five because it kind of seems like objectively, like uh, the shows you at least had and kept on watching were good. But like not my kind of thing. Yeah, and so yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a really good season, but it was a good season. Honestly, if Lupin the Turk wasn't on there, though, like I would probably rate it a two. Drop it a lot more. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. All right, and so before we go now, we have a fan mail. Oh, so this one comes from friend of the show QB. Given how many new sci-fi shonen or seinen animes happened this season that are all generally look interesting at first, what key factor do you think ends up making the difference in the ones you watch all the way through compared to the ones you drop, given that they all seem more or less like they have a strong start? Um, okay, so I'm gonna just say this, uh, titties and whether it's about melodrama. Okay. So I and I think with um, with series like that, um, particularly sci-fi, if we're gonna mm-hmm. if we're gonna specify on that, which uh, the fan mail did, with sci-fi, yeah. it has to ground the world that it builds. Yeah. It can't it can't constantly make new rules about itself that kind of supersede things you've learned earlier. It has to have a defined set of rules that stay constant and feel reasonable within the concept, the confines of the fact that you're watching a cartoon for mm-hmm. children. 
Like, you can't just constantly be like, oh, suddenly this doesn't work the same way for no reason. Like, make sure if you build some rules, you stick to them. Yeah. I kind of want to expand on that, and my problem with a lot of genre fiction in general, this is not just um, anime, a lot of genre fiction in general has that problem where it comes kind of on a Tolkien school world building in which it tells you, like, it's worlds rather than showing it or implying it, you know? Right, it tells you all of the things about the world instead of building them through sort of interactions. Yeah, and that's generally a thing that just keeps me out of a series. And also, when there's fucking awesome giant robots and this person just cries a lot about awesome giant robots. <laughs> you mean my whole life? Yeah. It's like, oh man, why won't the giant robot love me? But, um, yeah, and I think another thing, is now more generally in Shonen and Seinen, is characters. A, a cast... No matter how cool your world is, a cast can make or break your story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it doesn't matter what you want to focus on. If you want to make it dramatic, that's fine. If you want to make it silly, that's also fine. But you have to sort of build a cast that works within that world. Yeah. So you make a world and you define that you're going to have maybe a more serious cast, but you can still have characters that make jokes or, uh, you know, a little goofier and maybe not quite as, like, you know, kind of um, serious about everything, but you still have to have that sort of grounded tone that's very easy to tell. If you can't yeah. find a consistent tone, that really hurts a story. Like, I feel as a society, we're also just, like, way past hard sci-fi insert, so, like, introducing a more uh, human angle to it is definitely, like, always a good thing for it to kind of, like keep you more interested in the worlds around, because, like, how do these characters react to, like, how this world is, and, like, how do they um, live their life in this world, and, like, that's honestly like, if it was just about fucking oh, this, this robot, he does stuff, like, that wouldn't be as interesting like, it's a lot more interesting to have a uh, personality, like, like think to themselves and react to, like, about what this robot does, you know? And I think, in a way, that's one of the things that Dimension W could have done, with the fact that it has a robot character that also seems to be partially sentient. Mm -hmm. Like, you can build on that as a character, because you have a cast that builds around that. People who are really interested in this sort of thing. The main character, who just fucking hates it, and hates all new technology, because he's a grumpy old man. Like... You have a cast that builds around the development of this character and trying to figure out who she is, and then you don't really take any time to develop that. Okay, chirps, it sounds neat and all, but just show her titties, okay? Just just show her titties. Don't do it, no. I mean, that'll get ratings, but shh, don't, you can't show the titties. <laughs> but yeah, and I think just sci-fi as a genre is not as closed off as I think a lot of the popular series would lead you to believe. Because a lot of them try to build up sort of the dystopian super future, and I feel like there's more interesting things that can be done with that. I mean, I think the dystopian super future is always, like, an interesting thing to me, but at least from the anime I've watched recently, it doesn't really feel that much like dystopia. Because it never really goes into the social commentary of, say, like, classism or racism, you know? 
I hear Psychopath handles that decently, but also you don't like Gunnar Rabucci's writing, so I would probably suggest staying away from that. Yeah. I mean, I heard Psychopath is decent, even from people who don't really like Genyurabuchi. Mm-hmm. I hear the second season's really bad, and apparently he didn't handle that at all, so... Yeah. Who knows? But I mean, like, in general, like, a lot of cyberpunk stories are actually interesting, because they often have to do kind of with, like, the inherent classism that has to do with, like, a megacorporation essentially, like, ruling the Earth and such. And, like, having to deal with the fact that you are at economical disadvantage and such. And I saw from Dimension W, it doesn't really deal with that. It's just, the corporation is here. Okay, it might have some bad stuff doing, but... The corporation's here, and everyone loves it, even though the people who run it are bad. Yeah. And so there's no, there's no real conflict in there, at least yeah. from what they showed us. I mean, the people who run it are bad, but they're bad in the kind of, like shadowy way, rather than the way of, like, they are on top and they don't really care about, like, the common man and such, like, you know, you right. kind of get with a lot of other cyberpunk stories where it's about megacorporations. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so I think that sci-fi is predominantly focused on how it builds its world and the tone that it decides to build. Yeah. that Those are the two big things, because sci-fi can go so many different directions as far as a plot. I think genre fiction in general should just focus uh, less on, like, world building and, like, doing these out there concepts and explaining them to you, and more just in general, like, upon the human angle, you know? Yeah, because you can definitely, like, you can tone down mm -hmm. a sci-fi story to the point that it doesn't have, like, a lot of weird tech stuff going on, but you can then show kind of the development of tech and how it changes the society. You don't have to go as out there as everyone seems to want to with sci-fi. Basically, hard sci-fi can kiss my ass, buddy. Damn! Hell yeah! And so I wanted to do a follow-up thing for this show because uh, while I was like trying to figure out stuff about uh, Macross... I ran into the reason why it can never uh, make it to America and why it's never been um, lo why it's never been picked up for distribution in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, um, sometime in I believe like the early '80s, Harmony Gold was a company who wanted to bring anime to the West as like a thing that would show on TV. And they picked up three series. They picked up uh, Super Dimension Fortress Macross, Super Dimension Cavalry Southern Cross, and Genesis Climber Mospadia, which were three shows that were not long enough to run on their own because the way that the particular um, TV series that they worked for was they had to show one episode daily for like nine weeks so they had to have like six or they had to have 65 episodes at least mm -hmm. so what they did is they took these three unrelated series and made them a three generation story by cutting up footage and recompiling it and completely dubbing over with its own unique story and so they made basically they made fan fiction <laughs> that's actually really interesting though like that kind of reminds me of like a that kind of reminds me of a serious version of how they dubbed like Samurai Pizza Cats, 
Yeah, where it's just like, uh, they just didn't get anything, so they made a huge jokes about it kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, that's a- that's actually a really interesting way that they essentially, like, they made an entirely different series in general just because of, yeah. like, time slots and such. Yeah, but then they have just, like, had an iron grip on the on the Macross um, name because they got the original one and have just pursued tons of lawsuits because of Mecha that even like resemble the designs used in Macross. Mm-hmm. Like they, um, like so, I think in um, the Mech Warrior game, they literally had some mechs designed by the Macross dude. And so they put out like cease and desist orders for um, images and trailers of the game that had those mechs in them. Mm-hmm. And so they've just had such an iron grip that it's basically impossible for anyone else to grab the rights to it because they're going to throw lawsuits around. As it turns out, they they have sort of a shaky legal hold on it as it is because they have a license from the production company that made the anime, but in Japan, the courts have ruled that the creators of the series, which is a different studio, actually controls the intellectual property. So... Harmony Gold only owns the distribution uh, rights outside of Japan and doesn't actually control the intellectual property, but how, um, how like, active they are in pursuing sort of these lawsuits based on it, I think it's just, like, no one wants to deal with that trying to bring Macross over. Yeah. And I just thought that was, like, a wild story, like... Like, the reason that it hasn't happened is because in the 80s, someone picked up the rights and just won't let go. (laughs) Even, like, four or five series in. I mean, that's the way, like, IP licensing kind of works in America. Thanks, Disney. (laughs) Yeah. It's just nuts. Um, I thought that was just an interesting thing that I learned when going through. But, uh, yeah, so that's why uh, Macross is never going to get picked up. So either you have to get it through less reputable sources... Or, as it turns out, the Blu-ray volumes for these have all come with English subtitles. I Maybe to counteract this in some way, but... So you'd have to buy it all kind of offshores, but you'd have a way to watch them. So there are at least options there. Anyways, that was my only follow-up I had. Otherwise, uh, I think there's been nothing else really in news besides the fact that all the shows that we talked about before got picked up by someone... What about Sword Guy? Sword Guy is still listed as we're not sure when it's going to come out. <laughs> Rest in peace, the guy with a sword. <laughs> oh, sorry, Sword Guy. Maybe one day you'll come back. Oh, no, Um, I cut this out of the uh, other podcast because it ended up that not only that, but Show by Rock Season 2 got canceled indefinitely for no reason. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Actually, I think it's because Bones is already handling three shows this season, and if they tried to do a fourth one, all of their quality would just, like, tank. Yeah. Which I I think, honestly, if you're going to make a move like that, that's the best move instead of trying to stick to it. It's like, alright, we're going to slow down one of these shows that maybe has, like, a more lenient sort of, like, uh, scheduling kind of thing. Because, like, 
with Bungo Straight Dogs, you don't have much of a choice because they've already announced a second season uh, two seasons from now. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, yeah. I think that's everything we have to say. Uh, thank you for joining us for this review episode of Chaco Disaster. I've been Shorpsaway. Yeah. And I've been Future Friends, and thanks for watching. We'll see you in a couple, in uh, about six weeks or so, to talk about the midway of the season and kind of discuss where we see the shows we're watching going. See you then. All right. See you then.